0: Friends to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is Home Base for Running Community Love, and we're sponsored by Squirrels Notebook. Spread the lube and your blister and chafing problems will go away. You can thank me later. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got part two of my Havelina 100 preview episode today, and I've got two awesome guests, Mike Melton and Jamil Curry. Mike is an accomplished runner and is probably the most respected timer in the ultra running business. Jamil is also a highly accomplished ultra runner, and he is the head honcho of Air Viper Running. They put on some really awesome races out west, including, but not limited to, the Javelina 100. And he comes on to talk about the history of the race and lots of other cool stuff. Mike talks about his experience with Javelina and some of the other Air Viper races, and then he goes on to tell many awesome stories of his races that he's run in or timed over the years. This is a good one, folks. Stay tuned. Oh, Jamil. Hello. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. Thank you. I'm sorry for being such a pest and bugging you all about this. I sure wanted to get your take on on the history of Aravipa and the race for my podcast?
1: Yeah, no worries. Sorry we uh, didn't connect sooner.
0: Well, I understand y'all are busy this time of year. <laughs>
1: a little crazy for sure.
0: You're you're doing like a I get I assume you're still doing a daily update on the uh, FKT thing too.
1: Yeah, we are. Ben dropped out this morning, unfortunately, but we're still going to follow Mike all the way all the way through as long, long as we can.
0: Cool. Yeah, I saw that with uh, Ben. I hate that he fell. I've certainly been through that. My first fifty miler, I fell in a section called the Rock Garden and twisted my hip flexor, lower back. Sounds like a similar injury, and uh, oh, just man. could just could not move fast enough to make the cutoff. But anyway, well, I won't hold you up any longer. We'll get get this party started if you're ready.
1: Yeah, I was just going to move to a little quieter room here. Okay. All right.
0: Cool. So I guess kind of the way I would like to start maybe is just to get like a little history about your company. All I really know about your history is what Mike Milton.
1: Yeah, well he was yeah he's been around since the beginning, so he knows a lot.
0: Yeah, he told me that. uh, I guess he was doing across the years when I guess it was maybe the before you all took that race over and you and your brothers were still in high school and y'all are out there pumping out some fast miles. That Luke, that's when he met
1: y'all. Yeah, I think I was in college, but my two younger brothers were still in high school back then. Okay, yeah.
0: So when did Aravipa? When when did you all become race directors? I guess you had a you started running races yourself before you started directing. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So I ran in high school and but not collegiately, and then found out about this local trail running in Phoenix area. It just so happened a bunch of them were ultra runners. And so quickly I heard about this event called Across the Years, which is a 24-hour a race across the new year. And some years they have up to a six-day and 10-day race. So decided to just sign up for that on a whim and got plugged into the community. Absolutely loved it. Started volunteering as much as I could. And then the same folks that hosted across the years. Roger and Jimmy Rublick were organizing the Javelina 100. And they didn't start the race, but they they took it over from Jerry Kilgariff, who founded the race in 2003. And so they moved to Colorado and asked me to direct the race in 2008. So that's kind of my a quick synopsis of my journey Got into the sport in 2005 and then was directing the Havilene 100 in 2008.
0: So you started it before you got across the. Uh,
1: Yeah, we didn't end up taking over across the years until I think 11. Okay.
0: So you had already done a hundred miler at that point when you took over race directing?
1: Yeah. So I had the first year I did across the years, I only made it 67 miles and I came back the next year and completed 100 miles in four hours. So that was the first time. That I went over a hundred miles, but I would consider my first true hundred miler the 2007 Angeles Crest 100, and I really just wanted a Hard Rock qualifier, so that's the reason that I went and ran that race.
0: So Hard Rock was on your uh, radar that early.
1: Yep, I saw photos for 2006 Hard Rock. They look it just looked like an incredible landscape, an incredible adventure, and it went right to the top of my.
0: Yeah. So do you know Chris Twiggs? Yep. Yeah, I just had him on here a couple of weeks ago. We talked a lot about hard rock and that that scenery. I've seen the pictures, and thanks to you for a lot of that, for some of those awesome videos. And so, yeah, that's one of my bucket list races for sure because of that. And one thing, you know, while I'm giving you praise, I'll also go ahead and say, you know, for the videos themselves back in 2020 when COVID hit, so I had been doing a bunch of marathons and had just decided I wanted to be a 50-stater in the marathon world and all the marathons got canceled with COVID. And so we still had a few local trail races going on and you know, baseball season, everything got put on hold. And so, and I got the flu, like right when baseball season got canceled. And so I sat home for the whole week sick and all I did was watch ultra running videos. <laughs> and so thanks to you and Kerry Ward, and, uh, Billy Yang, three of the best ultra running, you know, I just, I consumed everyone that was out there basically. and. And that's what got me into ultra running. I signed up for my first 50K as soon as I could find one. And, uh, you know, it's been nothing but bad decisions ever since. (laughs) But I am super grateful. But anyway, and I did my first Air Viper race this year in February at Black Canyon. The oh, uh, nice. 60K. I volunteered for the 100K the day before with Squirrel's Nut Butter at Bumblebee. And, awesome. then, and then I ran to 60K the next day and loved it. Loved it.
1: Cool. That's awesome.
0: But anyway, so getting back to the, to the interview then. So... Your first year, you did have Alina, and that was how many people did you have
1: running? We probably had 175. Okay. It's just off the top of my head.
0: Now, do you have like a park service or whatever that caps, has a ceiling on how many runners you can have on that area, or do you all set that?
1: Yeah, we, it's a little mutual, but we've kind of, uh, we kind of set that as what we handle and what the park can handle. And it just, you know, it kind of grows a little bit each year. Obviously, you know, it's come a long way. It's, you know, about 10 times bigger than it was back then. And we had a different start, finish venue back then too. And so the park has evolved quite a bit. They have some new staging areas and some larger parking lots that we're able to take advantage of. So, you know, the size of the event as it is today, wouldn't double back then.
0: So back then, when you first started, could you have imagined the cult following that that race has gotten since then?
1: I mean, yes and no. I mean, it, it already had a cult following from day one. I mean, really? Jerry Gilgareth, the founder, Jerry K was just a character in the sport. He started the race. And she, I think she had over 150 people sign up in the first year, which is a lot back in 2003 yeah. for an inaugural race. And, and pretty much everyone came out. I think you had Carl Meltzer and a lot of these big names back then all, all showed up to give it a shot. And you know, from day one, it was all about the fun, the party kind of getting wild in the desert. And we've, we hope to, we've hoped to maintain that. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I've talked to several people that have run the race and every single one of them all have said, you know, without any hesitation that are definitely going back, you know, and even when they can't run, they're going back to volunteer or whatever. And that says a lot. I've I wish I would have done this episode a few months earlier so I could be out there this this year at least just to take in the energy. I know it's too late to get in the race. I'm definitely gonna be on my computer come New Year's Day for next year now. So I'm because i I have got made just from talking to the people about it and how excited they get talking about. It. I don't know if you know Rob McDearman. He's a five time finisher going for number six this year. I talked to him. William Pennings is another guy that's been there many years. Oh, yeah. Spent a lot of time. And both of them spoke very highly of, of course, so did Mike. And, but anyway, yeah, it's so the race is a little under 20 mile loop now, right?
1: Yeah. So it used to be uh, around 15 mile loop and you would do six and a little bit over a half of a lap and it was always washing machine style at least back in the day and then now with the new staging it's five approximate miles. so the first loop is a little bit long you do the escondido trail which is a little different than the rest of the course and then you're doing four of them that are around 19 and some change for the next four loop. And so and the aid
0: stations, you've got
1: three aid stations. There's three there's three remote aid stations and then there's the headquarters. So there's right. four. AIDS per loop. And what's kind of unique about Havelina that I think lends itself to just the atmosphere out there is that the crews are only permissible at the headquarters aid station. So, in a typical hundred, as a lot of people out there know, you're kind of driving through the mountains or the woods and, and traversing across a landscape to crew your runner. And this one, you just stay put. And so people just set up a pop-up tent, bring some chairs and some atmosphere and and hang out and have a good time waiting for their runner to come back through. And and they're just cheering everyone on. So there's a lot of people mixing and mingling and and meeting new people and catching up with friends.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the recipe for it to become that big family atmosphere. While they're sitting there waiting on their runners, they get to meet the crews of other runners and get to support the runners, other runners as they come in. And that's what makes me love those loop Races. I like the point to point too uh, for the scenery and all that stuff, but the loop, the the ultra running community is something everyone should experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's the elite lineup like this year?
1: Yeah. So the race is fortunate enough to be a golden ticket race again for the second year uh, for Western States 100. So we've got A number of amazing athletes towing the line of course it's not just all about the the elite athletes here at Havelina, but we've got matt daniels is coming out uh, patrick reagan who's a three-time winner we've got uh, my brother nick curry is going to be chasing a ticket there's some midwest guys jeremy pope we have arlen glick who's coming back after winning last year we've got dakota jones out of utah jacob pusey from british columbia Brett Horning from Ashland, Oregon. There's just like a huge list of people that are coming on out. And then on, and like a bunch more names that, you know, probably dark dark horse uh, type. And then in the women's field, we have uh, Casey Lichtai actually needs an entry into Western States. So she's, she has eight finishes in a row and she was outside the top 10 this year due to coming back from injury. So she's looking to return and earn a ticket. Uh, We've got Annie Hughes will be running, Cocodona champion, Anne-Marie Madden from British Columbia is coming down. We got Nicole Bitter. We have Brittany Peterson, uh, Devin Yanko signed up. It, the list just keeps going.
0: Yeah. Cool. So what is the course record for the current
1: course you have there? Do you know, just kind of ballpark a few more hours? Yeah. Pat Reagan, I believe it's thir- It's just over 13. It might be 1301. And then the women's is like 14. Wow, uh, Don't quote me. It's, it's right around there. So yeah, Camille last year broke the course record and lowered it and yeah, it was so close to breaking 14. So I think, I don't know if this will be the year uh, or maybe the next couple of years, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see sub 13 hour on the men's side and 14 hour on.
0: And so, and on the other end of the spectrum, what what is the cutoff for the hundred? 30 hours. Okay. And does the hundred K have a cutoff, a time cutoff?
1: It's just twenty nine hours, so they start one hour later than the hundred milers and we just give them the entire rest of. Them. Okay,
0: now there is one other race that at night. What is that distance? Yep. Like a thirty k or something?
1: It's a thirty one k, so it's the shorter of the two loops. It's just the it's a, just over nineteen miles.
0: And what is that called? The fun race? It called.
1: We call it the Jackass Night Trail. So trail. yeah, the the kind of the party disco aid station on the far side of the course is called Jackass Junction. And we like to, we like to hang up a bunch of lights out there and and have people dancing. And so we figured we might as well add a one lap party run for, we've got about 230 people signed up for that one. They'll, they'll head off right just past sunset on Saturday night. And it's really cool. Almost everyone doing that race is in costume. They've got glow sticks and there's just a whole new energy that comes alive and it it kind of happens just before the winners come in it's really cool
0: so now do you I had heard that you have costume contests do you still have that like for the runners in the bigger the longer races
1: yep that's been going on pretty much every year definitely even before I got involved in the event we have usually the best uh women's and man's costumes and I think we've evolved into having a podium of costumes and <laughs> Yeah, you typically get extra points if you wear it the entire time. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. So have you, I know uh, you did, you did Dona in the first year, right? Yep. Have, you, have you done Javelina since you all were? No,
1: I've never run Javelina. Uh, and I've also never run Black Canyon. Those two are huh. definitely on my list. But th- the problem with those two events is we keep evolving them every year. And whether that's just switching to a new course or or adding something like a new aid station or a venue or adding all the live streaming, I'm usually always just working a ton a couple of weeks leading up to the race.
0: Yeah, and and planning out all that that live streaming, which is revolutionary, the live streaming of for people like me who's the bucket list cool races to actually get to experience. it. Because didn't you, did you have anything with uh, Western states starting to do? they're streaming Didn't you help them I, do, you do? I know you
1: volunteered right uh i haven't i haven't volunteered for the live stream at western states and i haven't been directly involved in it i've done a lot of filming at western states either for our own channels or for solomon as well
0: oh okay i thought i saw you running around the track filming somebody.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. I, I forgot about that. I jumped in at the last minute. They were looking for additional people to run, uh, the golden hour finishers. Okay. So I did do that last year. Yeah,
0: man, that is some spectacular video there. That's that hour there. I've never been there in person to experience it, uh, even through video, man, it, it's life changing. It's special. It is. So, uh, so anything else you want to share about, Havilena, that the world needs to know you know a lot of my listeners are east coast listeners yeah. and, and only the hardcore ones that have done multiple hundreds have really you know know about that so far and i'm trying to expose more people to that to that life
1: nice um yeah i mean the biggest thing for us this year is it's the 20th running of the Havelina 100 so 20 consecutive years of this race and yeah it's crazy i've been i guess at the helm for 15 years now doing this event and it's, it's really been a lot of fun. It's uh, definitely one of the highlights of our year is putting this event on. And we love the reunion and seeing everyone come out. So we just want everyone to have a good time. And and now with the live stream, we feel like we can kind of bring that uh, to everyone.
0: Yeah. So as far as the registration goes for next year, yep. registration day is the 1st of January. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, how how quick did it sell out this same day?
1: I don't think it was quite same day, but it was probably within the first couple of weeks.
0: So do you see it having to get to a lottery eventually?
1: Oh, man, I I, I don't know. Um, we probably need to start thinking about that now that it's getting so popular, but I'd prefer not to if we can help it, but it might become inevitable. Yeah.
0: So just a quick, just on your history then what would you, would, what is your favorite race that you brought?
1: I mean, it's probably the Barkley marathons just personally an obsession with that event. I mean, coca was definitely kind of a, it was a huge experience for me. Uh, Ronda del Sims in Andorra, which doesn't exist anymore, was one of my favorites as well. Love the really, really tough one.
0: So speaking of coca Just from your experience, talking to the people that have got a few hundred milers in their belt, but never even really considered going out of their comfort for 200 plus, what would be your advice to step up to something like that? Because I would love to, to that kind of challenge, but I don't know if I can trust my body to be able to do it. What would your advice be?
1: I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a different part of the sport. So I think you need to approach it a little bit differently you know, you're not just going out there and, and pushing through 30 hours or 40 hours, which some of these, um, but it's a multi-day effort. So you know, I have a bit of a through hiking background, which I think really helped me wrap my head around what I was doing when I ran the Tahoe 200 and the Cocodona 250. And so I think finding your sleep breaks is really important. And keeping up on that is essential and dialing in your gear, making sure that you know, you have to carry more than a typical hundred miler. The aid stations are further apart. It takes you a lot longer to get between stations. So I think really dive into the gear part of it, uh, your sleep strategy and just get a lot of time on your feet. That'd probably be my biggest things. There's a lot of, a lot of information out there now on these, there's been a ton of people that have done this and there's a lot of, a lot of great content. So, you know, if you want to learn more, I think the, the info is out there.
0: Yeah. When I, I spoke with Ben and Mike that are doing the FKT thing and, and both of them said, well, if you train for, a, if you run a hundred miler, you've got the physical part, but you got to get the mental part a lot stronger to step into the, to the hundred to 200 world.
1: Yeah. And the, you know, the lows will be lower, uh, but the highs will be higher in something that long. So just keeping the faith that you'll get past the low important part of it. I mean, that goes for, I think all ultra marathon distances is that's built into the game of this sport is the low most. Um, But I think that's why a lot of us like did we like to get to that point of struggle and what happens mentally and physically. uh, And can we get past that?
0: Well, I sure appreciate you coming on with me. Of
1: course it's It's been been awesome
0: and an honor to talk
1: to you Uh, thanks so much for checking in
0: so just uh as far as your other races you've got across the years you've got black canyon you've got name what are some other ones you've got coming up this year you're about to wrap up the year
1: oh man no we're it feels like we're just getting started we have i mean we have a full calendar of events year round in the southwest so we are we have we actually just took over the tucson marathon so we have a a road race now in southern arizona and then we're also going to be organizing the jackpot ultras which is a great fixed time event in henderson nevada so we're it's kind of prime running season here in phoenix we're just kicking that off and our oh. our major premium fall to winter trail series is called the desert runner trail series we've got six events lined up from november through march and there's some really yeah underrated events there you know a lot of people talk about havelina and black canyon but McDowell mountain frenzy and elephant mountain coldwater rumble these are they're just as good as havelina and they all kind of have their own little take to it it's good and what's that
0: one that we're, it's a 50k but it's all uphill except for like the last 2 miles what it's is the, the crown the crown
1: king scramble yeah 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 that's a historic race that was started in like 1986 that seems up too so the best place to
0: find i'll put your uh social media stuff in my show notes and all and ariviper has their own social media and website that lists the races yep
1: yeah running.com. you can see a calendar of all the events can click on a map on ultra sign up and you see where everything's located
0: cool well i wish you the best of luck on the race this year and all of the upcoming races and i hope to meet you Next year, when I come, either if I've come to do that 100K at Black Canyon or definitely at Havelina. I will be there. If it don't sell out, on sounds great. Okay, man. Thanks again. Awesome. For your time. Have a wonderful Take day. Care. All right, bye. Big thanks to Jamil Curry for coming on such short notice and sharing some time with us. It was an honor to get to talk to him because I'm a big fan. Without wasting any more of your time, we're going to move right along to Mike Milton. Race timer extraordinaire, badass ultra runner, and just a hell of a good guy. Stick around. We're just gonna. Mike is driving, and we're just gonna jump right into the conversation. So it's not a whole lot of formalities here.
2: Hey, Marty, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you good. All right. I'll okay. do my best. Okay. Keep your eyes on the road, and we'll. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Got both hands on the wheel, buddy. So you, so you helped out at Blue Ridge Ultra. Thanks very much for doing that
0: yeah i had a blast that was ultra ever back in 2020 and so i've been wanting to go
2: okay here with them okay uh let's see i must have worked that one because that would have been two years ago yeah and then last year it was dan and this year i had ted williams so yeah, the,
0: the year i did it it was a hurricane coming because hurricane delta went through oh here.
2: yeah it was it was a, it was bad weather it was nasty all day man so, uh, are you coming
0: out to have Alena? No, I'm not going to cheer Although I want to. I, I wasn't.
2: I wasn't thinking. I. I thought you were not. But I remember that was sort of a because I saw it on your radar.
0: Yeah, I'm doing uh, New York City end, and we're leaving like on Wednesday. Okay. And so I just. couldn't okay. I had registered for New York City in 2020. The 50th. Right. Covid hit and shut it down, and so I had the opportunity to last year, this year. Sure. And sure. I wasn't. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Pick this, you and that, but yeah, I talked to. I don't know if you know Rob McDearman, Robin. McD- um, I know the name. Okay, he's done it. Uh, he's a five-time finisher of. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine, Willem Penning's, has been there like twelve times. I talked to both of them. Sure. Just kind of get because you know, I'm doing just kind of like a Havilena pre episode. Yeah. I, I Well, see?
2: I don't know if you've been. I, I don't know if you've seen the Facebook page that you know the Havilena uh, page itself, but they started doing some like. You know, historical. They had a thing. I saw a thing about Patrick Corbett today, and also a thing about some swag they got merchandise going. And one of them they did was a historical thing about back and and, oh, and they they they, uh, they they had a feature on Patty Curry who runs the aid station. And um, and I was thinking about the historical thing in two thousand and seven, which was the transition year between Roger Rublick and the Corries. I was the eight station captain manager for the start finish eight station, and I did five costume changes because it was, you know, Halloween weekend. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. In fact, my red dress won me the best ass award for that year. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite awards.
0: Cool. Were you there the first year? then?
2: I was not. That was Jerry Kilgariff who started it, and I want to say uh, Anthony Humpage. Um, they were. I know Jerry was the race director. I knew her. I had met her at a couple of other races, but I was not there the first couple of years. And then Roger Rublich and his son, Jimmy, they and his family, they they were the original. They, they were the race directors for across the years when I started running back that race in 2004. And so they sort of transitioned. You know, Jerry transitioned to Roger. I think Jerry had a health issue that popped up. And so Roger and his family stepped in and they ran it for, I want to say, a couple of years. And, and the reason I ended up as aid station captain was because across the years was a small event. It was a 60-person cap per day. And so it, it, there was a limited number of slots. And Roger had put it out there saying he needed some help. And he was willing to offer a guaranteed entry slot into across the years for anyone who wanted to be the aid station captain. So I jumped on that and said, man, I'll take that job. <laughs> so... uh because then, because then I ran the seventy-two hour uh, at at uh, at the end of the year at, at ATY. I think I did the seventy-two hour like four times. I did one of the two of the one of one of the forty eights, and then I did the first six days that they had. I think I've run ATY like seven times, and now of course I work it. I've worked it. This will be my fifth year. I think. Sort of they sort of, they sort of all run together.
0: So what's what's the I mean this is not on Havilena but I'm just curious what's the most you covered at that event?
2: Um, oh at ATY.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, well the sixth day it was a really horrible performance because the six hours into the first day it was like right after lunch or mid mid afternoon I was shuffling along on the on the part of the course that winds through the baseball practice fields and my knee kind of went pop. And I thought, well, that was really weird. And it sort of started feeling funky. So I walked for a while and I would try and run a little bit and it didn't feel right. And I would walk. And so I walked it up till after dinner when the sun went down and it's still a little bit tender and weird. So what I did was I thought, well, you know, let me sleep on it overnight and I'll test it out in the morning. So I crawled into my tent and I slept most of the night. And I got up in the morning when the sun came up and got back out and I tried to run and I just, just couldn't do it. I just didn't feel right. I mean, it was something weird with it. I could walk, but, and I thought to myself, well, hell, it's only, I mean, I'm only like 27 hours into the race and it's a 144 hour race. (laughs) I could pack my stuff up. I could pack my stuff up and drive three days and be home before this race ends. But then I thought, well, that's really stupid. I came out here, you know, to hang with my friends and to get some miles and I might as well stick it out. So I ended up just walking every day throughout the day. And once the sun went down, I would pack it in for the night. And I ended up with, I don't know, like 217 or 219 miles. It was a horrible performance. My God, it's it's like, it's like embarrassing. I mean, no, I ran almost more than that when I ran across the state of Florida in 79 hours. So, you know, and here I had, I had almost twice as long and I, I barely got any more mileage than that. So, but it was a fun time. And I'm, you know, I'm happy I get it.
0: So I didn't realize that some other, and that tells you how much I know about it. I didn't realize that some other race directors had it, but Jamil.
2: Oh, yes. Havelina. Yeah. I mean, some of those, were, so, yeah, Havelina it, it was Jerry Kilgriff and uh, Anthony Humphreys' idea, I believe. And then Roger and Jimmy had it, I think, two years. So it might've been one or two years for Jerry, one or two years for, um, I think it was two for the Rublicks. And. Jamil and his family took it over, I want to say 2007 was the trend. So 2008 was their first year as race directors without Roger. Roger Because Roger owns a hotel in Silverthorne in Colorado. And so he had wanted to move his family there and get out of the Phoenix area and get up into the mountains more. And now I guess they're back in the Phoenix area again. So Roger was looking for somebody to take the race over. And I remember the Corey brothers 2004 when I ran across the years for the first time, I was out there and, you know, it's a 72 hour race. It was a three 24 hours, two 48 hours and a 72 hour race. And I was in one of the 48 hour races and I'm running along and, and these three young guys are there and they're helping out. And they're, every once in a while, they bust out a few really fast laps. And, uh, if Jamil was a senior in high school and Nick and Nathan were, I think, junior and freshman that year. So I met those kids when they were in high school. That's cool. Nice kids, not really nice family, really nice family. And yeah. Jamil is very smart. He's a really sharp
0: businessman. Well, I, I reached out to them via email this morning, and Jamil answered right back. And so hopefully, I'll be talking to one of the people, either Jamil or Jubilee, before I put this up. Sure, and, and sure. And then so, they can tell me their family. So,
2: yeah. So they're really they're really quality people. And, and and in my, in my, um, in my running, you know, my timing business, as I built my business, I don't think that there's maybe four race directors that I ever contacted the race director and said, Hey, would you be interested in me timing your race? My business sort of grew organically that, you know, I was first timing local races because I work about 40 races a year on the Treasure Coast in Florida, which is uh, from, like, Sebastian, Florida, down to Jupiter and out to Okeechobee. And we still work about 40 races a year there. I just have a local guy, one of my running buddies I've been running with for 25 years or so. He's sort of my local guy. So he's my my staff leader, my crew chief. And, um, and I forget which of the which of the ultras I started working, but it was probably, I know I timed uh, the crew's Fool's, April Fool's run one year, probably 29, 2010. And then it sort of grew from there. So it's probably uh, probably less than five times have I ever reached out to a race director and said, hey, I'd like to work your race. But I did exactly that with Jamil and across the years because I was a runner there and I saw the, the, you know, the amount of effort and care they put in and passion they put into the race. And as the the couple of years that I wasn't there because there were two or three years where Bob Becker had a 24-hour called Pe- uh, Peanut Island in West Palm over the New Years, and I worked that instead of going out to across the years. So there were two or three years where I couldn't go or didn't go, and I would always you know follow all of my buddies at across the years online. And there were times when I would be frustrated with the lack of uh, of, of up to date data. You know, the link would be down for a while or it would be stuck or frozen. And so I, I contacted Jamil and I said, you know, you guys are the gold standard in race directors. And, you know, I have the highest respect for you guys. And I have to tell you, you do a tremendously good job. But I will also tell you that your online presentation for across the years is less than your best. It's not up to par. And I think I could do a better job of providing that data for you. And I'd like to make a pitch for you. Here's my proposal. And I was thinking, and I and I said to him in the email, I said, please don't be offended. At, I'm not trying to, you know, be disrespectful in any way. And if you if you'd rather, you know, if you'd rather take a pass, I understand. And he came back and he said, you know, he said that's a really strong proposal. But he said we'll take you up on that. And so that was the year I went out and I worked that first year. And that was the year that Kelly Agnew got caught cheating. So you know, it's and and so that sort of cemented the relationship in the sense that, and, and it was funny, because the first couple of days, the first day and a half or so that I was at across the years, and I was sitting in the timing area, I probably had eight or 10 Aravipa employees stop by and say to me, I'm so glad you're here. We are so happy you're here. Thank you, for coming out. And like, after the fourth or fifth time, I said to one of them, What's up with this? You're like the fifth person that's come over and said, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I'm happy to be here and I'm grateful that you, I'm I'm happy that you guys are appreciative. And he said to me, you don't know the deal. He said, the the issue is that if you weren't sitting in that chair right there, one of us would have to be sitting there and all of us have to take a shift. And we all hate that job. Timing (laughs) is the worst job. And so because you're here, none of us have to do it. And we're really happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And so and so then you know, obviously Jubilee was the race director for across the years, and so the second or third, I guess it was the second year, I said to Jubilee, you know, I, I love working with you. She is just the, the sweetest person, and we get along really well. And uh, I said, uh, you know, and and she she was sort of she was you know telling me that she was struggling sometimes with Javelina with the timing aspects of it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I said, I would love to come on and work it. And so we made a deal to do half. Well, I take that back in between me getting the deal for Havelina, I also talked to Haley, the race director for Desert Solstice. And I said to her, look, you know, that race is exactly up my alley. I mean, it's my specialty is timing short loop fixed time ultras like that, where people run in circles and you know that's an excellent race and i would love to work your event and she said we would love to have you except that the problem mike is that we lose money on the race because it's an invitational race of like 35 people and they pay a pittance and she said if we brought you in we'd lose even more on the race and i said i understand and i can appreciate that but i said i'll tell you what i uh i i said i'll make you a deal and because I was already halfway across the country the, um, uh, the weekend before because I worked the perpetual motion race in Dallas. So from there to, you know, drive from Dallas to Phoenix is a lot less expensive than from Florida. To Phoenix. So uh, I said, uh, we'll, we'll figure, I said, I said, we can figure something out. So we made a deal on that. And then Jubilee and I talked about Javelina. So those are the three races I work for them right now. And um, I'm just thrilled to be a part of their team.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I, I actually read the, an article about that where you caught that guy cheating. I forgot his name. But yeah,
2: I that, 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 went, that went viral. Um, because and, and, you know, I mean, like the Daily Mail had it uh, you know, CNN, Sports Illustrated. I mean, a couple of weeks after I worked at Race, a, a friend of mine called me and he said, hey, I just read about you on the Drudge Report. And I was like, <laughs> what? The Drudge Report? <laughs> And he said, "Yeah." He said, "Did you catch a guy cheating in a by hiding in a porta potty?" And I said, "Yeah, I did." He said, "Well, that's where that the story's there." And so I think the reason why the story went viral is because he hid in a portable toilet. If right. he'd have hid in his car, or if he'd have hid in a tent, it just wouldn't have been the same kind of story. I and mean, then it would have been, I, I would have caught him cheating, but it wouldn't have been like what the hell you know, who would hide in the toilet, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and funny enough, like, almost two years later, Sports Illustrated called me, and they did, like, an eight-page story on Kelly, and of course, I was a part of that story, you know, and so, I mean, it was a pretty in-depth article, too, so was, that, that was a pretty interesting thing, and it, it's unfortunate that the specter of Cheating and you know uh, fudging like that has reared its ugly head in the world of ultra. You'd think that ultra would be immune because there's no fame, no glory, no money, no—I mean, nobody cares except other ultra people, and we're like a tiny little slice of the pie. But man, I'll tell you what—I think social media and things like ambassadorships and sponsorships and all those—those those have a dark side, and the dark side is that people paint themselves into a corner where they sort of have to perform or they have to admit that they fail. And some people don't want to admit that.
0: Yeah. That's what, in the article that I read, it seemed like an ego thing then about the, you know, in, in marathon, you can, you can make a serious living. if You win in some of the, that's big right. at, at, at,
2: at, at the top tier, the top tier of marathon runners are all about the money, but you're right in ultra now, to be fair, Kelly was a sponsored athlete by hammer. He was featured in an ad and I'm sure he got a bunch of products and stuff, but I don't think they ever paid him anything, but he was coaching. He had co- he had coaching clients and he had a whole blog and stuff. And maybe there was some advertising revenue that came off of that. I mean, I don't know enough about that whole end of the business, but to, 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 to be intelligent about it. But, but I think it was, it was more the ego. Like you said, it's the ego is that, you know, people get used to, you know, the idea that they're going to win. And if, if if they're not, then maybe maybe they can figure out a way to make it look like they did. Um, mm-hmm. And I we we had a woman who came to the Ethan Allen 24 hour race in Vermont one year, and she had gotten caught cheating at a at an earlier race, and she actually admitted, like she came clean and she said, "Yes, I did." You know, most of the time people deny it, but she came clean and she said, "You know what? I I, I have to admit that I did cut the course." I did, you know, I, I didn't run the entire thing. And she said, I got caught up in the moment. And when I, when, when she said, I didn't realize when they called my name and I was up on the podium I, and they hand me the award and I walked away, I just, I should have said right there, this doesn't belong to me, but I didn't. And, 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 you know, and then, and then one other time, the same thing kind of happened. And so she said, it's really seductive to win.
0: Yeah, and they just saw uh, recently there was one in the Midwest where a guy, one of the podium finishers at a hundred, got. The
2: yeah, uh, the Badger One Hundred, Scott Coomer's yeah. race. I just, I just saw a thing uh, where uh, he missed a bunch of checkpoints, and they finally had to disqualify him. And Scott did every, he did everything he could to give the guy a chance to come clean, and, or or to show that he had finished the entire race. And the guy just didn't have anything. And that's, you know, that's that's usually what happens is that. When you start digging into the, date, the details and the data, you just you find something that doesn't add up, and then you find another thing that doesn't fit right, and then you find a third thing that that doesn't add up, and then you know pretty soon you realize that you know you don't have you don't have him caught red-handed, but the gun is in his hand, and there's smoke coming out of it, and there's a brass cartridge laying there. And, you know, you're pretty darn sure that he pulled that trigger.
0: Exactly. Question, you know, with the technology and the watches now, you pretty much prove yourself that you covered the miles just by sharing.
2: Yes. Yeah. And 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 also, that you know, it, it is possible to fudge some of that stuff. And the really smart people have figured out how to manipulate the data. But even so you sort of can't manipulate it without leaving fingerprints behind that you manipulated it. So a smarter person can figure out that you've messed with your own data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and that's where, and that's where a guy like Derek Murphy, the marathon investigations guy, you know, that's his specialty is looking, you know, digging deep into the details of the data. Yeah. Um, and I, he and I have worked out a bunch of cases together because, you know, that we're, you know, I'm the front end of the, you know, producing the data, and he's the back end of a, of the analysis. In fact, yeah. he was the first guy he he and he and um, uh, Davevy Crockett were the first two people that contacted me when Kelly Agnew was uh, or was disqualified across the years. I mean, I got called within two or three hours from each of them yeah. because they were following the race because they because they they both had their eye on Kelly. They both suspected strongly that he was cheating. nobody had just been able to catch him. And since I saw the whole process, I had them dead to rights.
0: That's cool. Well, I, I would like to think that for the most part, the ultra community is not like that. And even even the roadrun community, for the most part, every every sport has some bad apples. That's know, correct. For the most part, it's it's a community of really awesome humans. We're kind and unselfish, especially when, you know, going back to Javelina, a lot of the people that I've talked to that have been there. You know, they talk about it as one big happy family.
2: Oh, absolutely. and And, and I would think... I would think that in general, I mean, one of the reasons why I got into running and stayed in running is because the quality of the people that I met was so high across the board. I mean, very rarely did I ever meet anybody that I wouldn't want to have as my friend. And one of the reasons why I went to across the years so many times was because I always felt like it was a family reunion when I got back there. I would see people that I hadn't seen all year long and we would hug each other and say, ah, it's so great to see you, man. How's it been? And we would run miles and we would talk and have fun all, the, all weekend long. And then we'd say, see you next year. And next year would be the same thing. It's like a, like a big dysfunctional family reunion. Cause <laughs> love, you know, cause, you know ultra, uh, uh, well, you know, ultra runners are sort of the dark side of running. We are the, we're the dysfunctional end of running. Um, uh, I mean, if you, if you take a look at ultra running as a community, you'll find it chock full of people who are struggling with or have overcome addiction and bad habits and, you know, uh, bad circumstances in life. Uh, I mean, that's one, that's why I'm an ultra. I mean, you know, my, I, I never, I was lucky enough never to have a problem with alcohol or drugs, but my Dad's side of the family is just riddled with people who had problems. My dad was a functional alcoholic himself, and I know there's a genetic component to it. So 30 years ago, I just made the decision to stop drinking, and, and I, I, just, I just don't do that. And I, I had a chance one time, there was a pivotal moment in 1984 where had I made a different choice, I would probably today be living in a cardboard box under a bridge somewhere if I were alive at all. And I'm not because I got really lucky and I got in with a great group of people whose focus was on health and fitness and running and the competitive aspects of the, of, of the, of the sport just appealed to me. And, you know, I'm addicted to endorphins, adrenaline, and caffeine. Um, but, you know, normal people, you know, the, the, you know, normal running is running three or four times a week, five miles at a time, you know, you only need to run twenty or twenty-five miles a week for your heart to be healthy and your body to be physically fit. If you're running more than twenty-five miles a week and more than four or five times a a, a week, you're running for something other than general health and fitness. And you know, I've had, I, you know, I've done more than a hundred ultra marathons, and I've, I'm in the middle of a running streak now that's six hundred and sixty or seventy days, and it's a small streak because I had a nine-year 45-day streak in the 1980s where I didn't miss a day. And I had 15 years, six months from 1995 to 2010, where I ran two miles minimum and never missed a day. So wow. clearly, I have an addictive personality. <laughs> I mean, I'm very, very grateful that, and I'm blessed that I got involved with people whose addictive tendencies are positive and not negative.
0: Amen. I'm the same way.
2: I mean, I'll tell you what, I story after story after story, I've I spent, you know, I had somebody help out last weekend at Indiana Trails 100. Just the sweetest person you'd wanna know. And, you know, positive and upbeat and helpful and friendly. She paced somebody overnight. She helped out in the timing tent. She gave me a, that allowed me to get a break. And in her her history, she had some bad alcohol and drug problems. She did some, she had some bad, bad life experiences. And Mm so I'm really happy that she found her way to a healthy, good place in life, and you know, there's there's tons and tons of stories in ultra like that.
0: Yep, definitely. It's chock full of And I love talking to the people. It's too. It's uplifting and inspiring.
2: Well, I, I, exactly. I mean, so so I think that for me personally, running has been therapy of sorts for me. That mm. that I have I have done some I have done some mental health therapy throughout the years. You know uh, marriage counseling and stuff like that. And some family stuff when, when necessary. And, and I am a big believer in therapy that I'm a believer that if you're physically sick, you go to a medical professional and you get help and advice to heal your body. And if you're mentally sick, you go to some therapy people and you, they help you heal yourself or, or lead you towards a better pathway. So I don't see much shame or stigma, stigma in that. But for me, uh, just on a general daily basis, I think that there are lots of us and in, in me included in the ultra community that tend to swing from, you know, some higher highs to some lower lows and running for me helps moderate that swing that when I'm, when I'm running regularly and uh, I, I have a base and I get a race in once in a while, you know, life is, is definitely absolutely more manageable. I, I you know, I am the first person to say that running has saved my life.
0: Amen. I believe so too. You know, Wendy, but I'm a recovering drug addict. I've been fourteen years clean and sober. And when the good for you. When the uh pandemic's in person recovery twelve step meetings kind of went away. And right, did. Right at that same time, coincidentally, is when I discovered trail running. It's been a game okay. changer. So I you know, I like to say that it saved my life and my sanity. <laughs>
2: Yep. Yep. So let me ask. So let me ask you, uh, Marty. So after 14 years, do you still feel a pull every once in a while for a drink?
0: Not necessarily a pull, but there are definitely okay. there's definitely times when you have a fleeting thought. You know, like on a hot day when, or yep. after a race. You know, sometimes you know it's at certain races where they have cold beer that they give to the fish, yep. you know, that the idea of treating yourself with them like that is a fleeting thought. But what?
2: Oh, I, 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 I'm I, with you. Uh, you know, it, it, it affects me. Uh, I mean, uh, like you, I don't give it serious consideration, but there are times when I think, man, a really ice cold beer would be awesome right now. Or mm-hmm. lately, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, uh, nice, uh, you know, Jack Daniels on the rocks or <laughs> a good bourbon or whiskey or you know, just just the sipping kind of stuff. You know, sit on a porch overlook right. the scenery, sip a little. But I know my philosophy in life tends to be: if some is good, a lot is better. Right. <laughs> and I know, and I know where that would lead me. <laughs>
0: right. As the saying goes, once too many and a thousand not enough. <laughs>
2: That's the truth. And
0: so, yeah, I know. Uh, I know from experience because I originally got sober when I was 24 years old, and I stayed sober for a little over about 11 years. I relapsed. Okay. And I. St- oh I- wow. I, I was ex- I was around this that had some good, strong smelling weed, and I. Sm- okay. And I wanted to try it and i didn't do it at that point, but it got in my head and i thought about it for a week and within a week i yep. tried and so just in, and, and i went from this guy cleaning some for over to us weed within a matter in less than that i had started back drinking and was in jail with the du isn't
2: that amazing yeah. and, and and you know and 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 at least at least you found your way back and you didn't hurt anybody along the way i mean that's that to me, you know, it's bad enough that I would damage myself, but I don't know that I could live with myself if I somehow hurt someone else physically. I mean, okay. it's bad enough to hurt the, the people around you who love you emotionally, you know, with your bad behavior and with my bad behavior. You know? And I always joke and tell people, my life is a train wreck without alcohol. With alcohol, it'd be a freaking catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I was, I was standing, I was standing somewhere the other day and, you know, I was, I'd probably check it into a hotel, and I had my ID. My, and I said, you know, I never worry about having my ID stolen because whoever would steal it would come back in 30 minutes and say, I can't believe it. Holy cow, how do you get by, man? Here, take your stuff back. I don't want to be you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So Uh-oh. so you said you've done 100 ultras. What is your – I mean, I know you've mentioned that across years is one of your favorites. What's a couple of other favorites that you've had over the
2: Man, you know, there are so many great races out there, and and there are so many wonderful places to run. It's hard to pin down. Um, I can tell you that I have a soft spot for a lot of places, and one of them is the Lost 118, which is the race around Lake Okeechobee. There's something kind of, you know, karma, like good karma, about just runner, it's just one loop around the lake. But it's like 116.8 miles. Scott Maxwell had originally put the course together, and he had it at 118, which is why it's called the Lost 118. Uh, I ran it four times as a runner, and I finished two of the four times. And then I was race director, I think, for four or five years when Scott moved to Toronto. And then when he came back, he took it back over because I ended up with a conflict. I couldn't find a weekend to put it on and then um and now last year we timed it and we'll be timing it again in february it looks uh because now it's uh scott richards and uh, brendan barry as race director so that's a really fun race and there's some really iconic communities around the lake it's like old florida and it's the it's a beautiful place and the race takes place for the most part on the top of the levee around the lake around lake Okeechobee and it's a it's like 85 miles of paved pathway and then Twenty some, thirty some miles of uh, grass path and you know hardpack dirt, and uh, and at night when the moon is out, it's so bright and you know you're up so high because you're the highest thing out there because it's really flat terrain all around. So that's a beautiful race. The races that take place in the Woodlucuji Forest in um, uh, over by Brooksville, the the the, the Zoom is my favorite configuration at the ten mile loop, and it's just a really runnable nice loop. Um, I've run, I ran, I DNF'd, I DNF'd all the best hundreds. I DNF'd, uh, Tetons, hundred, Vermont, uh, I DNF'd Massa I dnf Western States, I DNF'd Cascade Crest. And so I've DNF'd all the best hundreds. But I finished, I finished a few. I finished, uh, two of the three mother roads. Those were a lot of fun because it was the old Route 66 across Oklahoma. Um, and I love the fixed time events, the loop races you know the 612, 24 hour 48 72s etc um Mm. they're a lot of fun people say i mean like i did 100 i did 100.3 miles on a 400 meter track at davenport iowa in the uh, corn belt 24 hour people say oh it drives me crazy to do 100 miles on a track like that how could you do that and i was like i don't know i must have a small brain i'm easily amused because I just had a great time running in circles and talking to people and walk. I mean, you can see everybody on the course all the time because it's only a freaking track, you know? Right. <laughs> so, uh, so there's, and there's, you know, and then there's the races like the, the where the people are super special, like across the years and Cavalina and, and desert solstice. I mean the dome that what a I like, what a great place to run. You know, I've not, I've not run it as a runner, but, it's a great, pl- I mean, I, I have in the sense that I've, I've put some miles in there, but I've not, I've not, I've always worked it and not run it. Um, so, the, you know, the, like the Massanutton area, and, and uh, I, did, uh, I did a couple of the Great Eastern 100Ks in, in Virginia, in the, uh, the, the Appalachians, and it's gorgeous country. Um, those are wonderful run, races. I did, um, I did a 40-mile race in Greensboro, North Carolina called the Triple Lakes Trail Run. That was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, one of the hardest fifty k's I ever did was right in outside of Metro Atlanta. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake, which is why at the time my then wife and I signed up for it because she was an ultra runner. We it was it was we thought we'd go up and have a great time and have an easy race. And it was the Sweetwater 50k, which is like two or three miles from Six Flags, you know, outside of Atlanta. I'm thinking, how bad can this be? This is Metropolitan Atlanta. That is one badass MF and course. I mean, it was up and down and steep, climb hills, and we had to cross a river. I mean, I was holding onto a cable and the water was chest high on me and I'm six foot three. Um, I mean, it was it was a hell of a race. And we ran a horribly slow time. It was like eight hours and something. And Sammy still won the female Grand Masters Award because nobody else over fifty finished that year. <laughs> Wow! And so you know, there's just there's just so many so many good races out there, man. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, Lean, Lean Horse out in South in South Dakota. Uh, I signed up for the hundred mile and I, I turned early and finished the fifty miler. Although on ultra sign up it says I DNF'd the fifty. That's not true. I did finish, and I told the race director, and he knows I finished, and he was going to correct it, but he never did. I don't give I don't give a rat's behind. I mean, like like my ultra my ultra running rank is like close to zero. So I don't really (laughs) care about it. Uh, But the, but the lean horse course is a really beautiful course. And Custer, South Dakota is a great place for, if you're going to look for a place for vacationing, I mean, you've got Mount Rushmore and the crazy horse monument. There's the wind river caves out there. There's a big old Buffalo herd. There's a lot of stuff to do out there. I've been really lucky to have run in so many fun places. Uh, I got to say that, uh, that that I would like to have finished Western States the year that I ran it. It was 2006 and it was one of the real hot years and the finish rate was low and the people who did finish were all pretty much behind their normal finish times. And but that's a beautiful course, man, man. A lot of lot of gorgeous country and Cascade Crest up there in the uh, in the Cascades is an amazing uh, just great scenery. I mean, when you when you come up a big rise and you look up and there's Mount Rainier. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to get better than that.
0: They all so many races all the time.
2: That's exactly right. Um, I mean, and and even down to like the little, you know, the local race that, that, that the guys putting on in the local park. Um, I mean, we do a race uh, in Florida called the Skeeter Scoot, which is a fifty k, hundred k, and they do a hundred a, a k relay. And it's a great little trail. uh, uh, I think three-quarters of the trail you can see or you're real close to the uh, Indian River Lagoon Waterway, which is part of the intercoastal waterway. And uh, it's not technical. It doesn't have a lot of climbs. But it's a great little race. And the people who come are a lot of fun. I mean, so they're everywhere, you know. It's sort of like, you know, you, you, you sort of overlook the terrain that you live around because you see it all the time and if you were to come there as a tourist you'd say wow that's really gorgeous so that's really pretty or you know look at that so
0: so before we run out of time let's talk about where you're hidden and and uh, what your experience has been in uh, that place all right
2: so where well i'm i'm heading, I'm heading up, so so as as we speak i'm driving past lookout mountain and the sun is going down over lookout mountain at sunset uh so i'm in chattanooga tennessee and i'm headed to bellbuckle tennessee tonight uh, cause Saturday morning starts the, I don't know which edition of Big's Backyard it is, but nine or 10 years, eight, eight years, nine years. So, so I've been lucky enough to be at every edition of Big's Backyard, including year zero. And we call it year zero because it was not the four mile an hour, uh, format that it is today. The first year it ran from sunrise to sunset. So it started at like 6.49 in the morning, and it ended at 7.11 p.m., and we ran this figure eight loop. We did uh, three or four miles in Gary's on the trails in Gary's property, and then we crossed the street to Mr. Brothers Farm across the street, and we climbed this big rise over there, and we ran along the ridgeline. And there was no trail. We had to bushwhack our way through, and it was all covered with sawbriers, the same kind that show up at uh, at Barclay. So I got all slashed up up there. Uh, and we had to do figure eight loops until time ran out. And I think uh, there were there were 24 people that year. Six of them were named Mike. So <laughs> we had 25 percent of the field were Mikes, and all six Mikes ended with 50 kilometers. We all ran 50k. So we all tied for 50K. So that was year zero. And then the next year, year one, was the year we did the 4.167 miles an hour every hour. And it's an insidious, it's an insidious and like an evil kind of format because if you do the math and you run 4.167 miles every hour for 24 hours, you've run 100 miles. Now I have run 100 miles or more in 24 hours three times. And my PR is 103.4 or something. So I'm, real, I'm really like a, I'm, I'm an incredibly mediocre runner because that's a very mediocre performance. But, but clearly, 100 miles in 24 hours is doable for me because I've done it three times. But every one of those races, I took a break at somewhere along the way. Like the 103.4, I took a 50-minute break one time when it was raining, and I just didn't want to be out there in the rain. And so I probably could have done 106, 107. Had I run through the rain, but I just didn't. But that format—it was big format. I would have been out because I would have had to do my 4.1 miles every hour. It's really an incredibly hard uh, 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 format. And for those who are, are unfamiliar with it, the format is you run the 4.167 miles every hour at the top of every hour, and you keep doing it until there's only one person left. And so it's called the Last Man Standing event. And it's, and Last Man. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a a slam against the female, the distaff side. It's the fact that, you know, man, you know, humans, you know, we, we call, you know, it's, it's man, you know, like the, the community of man. So last man standing is the name of the race. And, um, and so the first year we did trail the whole time. And so as a runner, I think I did seven or eight laps and Joe Fegis and Dave Carver hung on my heels from lap two to lap seven, because I was doing the laps in like 48 to 49 minutes. And they said, this is a great pace. If you keep doing that, we'll stick with you. And on the eighth loop, I said to them, if you stick with me, you're going to be screwed because I don't think I've got another 49 minute lap in me. And <laughs> so they took off and, uh, and I timed out on that lap and they didn't. But, uh, but the problem with that event was that at night, The trail makes it a little harder to get your 4.1 miles in. And so I want to say the winner, Joe, went uh, 19 hours. It was less than 24. And so then the following year, Gary said, you know, maybe if we run the trail during the day and the road at night, the paved road at night, maybe we can, you know, make it just within people's capability. And that has turned into kind of the perfect mix. And man, is it amazing what people can do. I've been blessed to see some incredible performances. I think the one year that stands out two years that stand out for me are the year that that uh Johann Steen and Jeremy Ebel were going toe to toe. They were down to the last two and Johan was running laps in like 48 minutes just on just just like clockwork. And he'd have 12 minutes to sit down and retool he had no crew, so he was self-crewed. Hmm. And then Jeremy was running like 58 minutes, but he had crew. He had his girlfriend and his mom there. So they were doing like the NASCAR pit stop. They, he would come in and they would go quick, 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 boom, 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 change. And he would go again. And at 49 hours, Johan said, I don't want to stop, but I have to leave because my plane out of Atlanta leaves in like five hours and I have to get home. And back to work. He runs some company in Sweden. And so Jeremy said, Johan, if you have to leave, I don't want to win like that. And so the two of them stood there, and Gary blew the whistle and down to the cowbell, and Gary rang the cowbell, and they shook each other's hand and stepped out of the box. Wow. Nobody won. And, I mean, I get choked up even now thinking about how cool that was. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the other year that I thought was really amazing was Harvey Lewis and Guillaume Comets were going head-to-head. And, you know, when the race starts on Saturday morning, the the race historically has had 40 or 50 or 60 people, up to 70 people. So there's a pretty good crowd all day Saturday and Saturday night. There's still 20, 15 or 20 people in. And Sunday morning, you know, Sunday morning when you get to the 100-mile mark, you lose people because a lot of people say, Oh man, I'm good with a hundred and they step out. So by Sunday afternoon, the crowd starts getting thin. And by Sunday night, what had happened was we were down to Guillaume and Harvey Lewis. And, you know, when people drop out, they hang around for a couple, three hours, but then they pack their stuff and they go, especially on Sunday afternoon, because a lot of people say, look, I can get back and work on Monday. So by Sunday night, the, the you know the, the the start finish area was was like a ghost town. It was like seven or eight of us standing around watching and and you know hanging out and it started raining it the the sun went down and it started raining, and it was like in the mid forties and a drizzling rain and Harvey and Guillaume every hour until the sun came up in the rain and cold temperature stood at the line. Gary rang the bell and they took off to run and I kept thinking how miserable must it be out on that road all by yourself? Cause there's hardly any traffic out there, especially at night. Um, it's just, he, Guillaume and Harvey, you know, watching each other go down the road and come back, you know, hour after hour after hour in drizzle and the cold and gotta be miserable. I mean, we were miserable sitting in the timing area and I had a heater. I was dry cause I, my tent was tarped up. Um, but, uh, but I give those guys a lot of credit. They went 22 hours, the two of them, until finally Harvey folded and Guillaume won. Because, so, you know, Harvey was, a, Harvey was a bridesmaid twice before he won it last year. He was the assist to Guillaume at, I think, 57 hours. And then he was the assist with uh, uh, Courtney. Courtney? Yeah, at like 68 hours. And yeah. then, um, and then, and then Maggie Guterel won it at sixty hours. Um, and then Harvey finally won it with Chris Roberts last year at eighty-four, I think, eighty-five That's hours.
0: Crazy!
2: So, and, and it's an amazing, it's amazing to watch people do that hour after hour to get up out of their chair at, you know with like seven minutes rest with one hundred and eighty-five miles on their body and go run four point one more miles. It's it's astounding.
0: Yeah,
2: the human the human body is an incredible machine. And if your mind, the the weak spot is your mind. If you can get your mind wrapped around the fact that you're going to do this thing, your body will follow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that part, the mental part is more impressive than the because.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the iron will to get back out there. And, and, you know, the, 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 the part that's really hard to swallow for bigs is that. You know, when you're running a hundred miler and you're at mile ninety-two, you know you have eight miles left, and you know what pace you're running, so you can calculate it out about how long it's going to take you. But at Biggs, there is no finish line. The finish line is when the guy next to you calls it quits. Yeah. And so, you know, you can see people standing there at as as the time kicks off to start the next loop, and they kind of look at each other sideways, like, ah, oh, that guy doesn't look like he's, he, he looks like he's fresh. I'm feeling like crap, man. I don't. I don't know. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah it's great to watch. It, it looks like. It looks like I saw it, that they're going it, to be streaming it too.
2: This year, I think the coverage is going to be outstanding. Um, I, I think they're going to take. I think the the, the plan is to take the, the the base data that I generate, and they're they're going to push it live all the way around the world. And they've got uh, cameras live streaming. I'm going to have my live stream camera set up as well. But I don't think I'm even going to publish the link except for just a, a few friends. I'm doing it more along the lines just to to test again and to and to have a a video you know i I get to keep my video of of my uh of my you know I get to keep the video so I'll have it on i'll save it but but it's really it's really been i I have been incredibly blessed to have fallen into some stuff just kind of by luck and accident you know you and meet, and meet so I've, been, I've i've people. been yeah. I've been in the right place at the right time. and I've met some really amazing people and I've watched some incredible performances. I mean, you know, to watch Zach Vitter run 642 per mile a hundred times in a row was an absolute, that was an absolutely mind blowing experience. He was a, he was a machine. It was an amazing like once in a lifetime performance. Um, You know, to have to have gone, you know, I went to uh, I went to Romania in 2018 and timed the European 24-hour championships there. There were 37 countries and 175 runners. Um, that was an amazing thing, too. It was one of the highlights of my career, you know, to have done that. Had the Worlds taken place in 2020... I would have timed that event as well because it was it would have been in Romania, but COVID put the put the kibosh on that.
0: Well, I know. Uh, I don't. It seemed like you told me your your son Dan. It's here, is that your son? Yes. He did the Canal yes. Cor- Canal Corridor. They had some really uh, good performances there. Yeah.
2: Actually, it was Mike Dobies It was Mike Dobies It was Mike Dobies who timed for me at Canal Corridor. And yes, okay. uh, Jacob Mott Jacob Moss got passed in the at 99.5 miles. He got passed by Caleb Bowen, and Caleb beat Jacob by 70 seconds, 12, 40, 22, to 12, 41, 33. It was just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Solid performance. That's, that's the second time that Jacob has been sub 13 hours for 100 miles. Yeah. He, and he's a young guy. I want to say he's 32. Yeah. I think so. He's got, uh, he's got a really bright future ahead of him.
0: You know, yeah, yeah. I've been following him on social media, and I think he's supposed to be doing the stinger, and so maybe we'll I think see he is coming up. to stinger.
2: Yep, I'll be there. I love that race. Yeah, I'm I'm planning coming and Andy Randolph, and they they do a great job, and and uh, John, their their team is a great team.
0: I'm planning on coming up there. I don't know if my coach will allow me to run it, but three weeks out from my hundred, but uh, yeah, sure, if I can. I'm gonna come up there and help help you or help oh
2: well, maybe maybe know, maybe, may, maybe maybe do the six hour but i i can tell you that i'll need help in the timing here so
0: well you got anything else interesting you want to share before we call it a day
2: oh man Uh, there's so much stuff um so many great races and i'm just happy to have been a part of it um you know i guess the only thing i would say is if anyone who has not yet tried an ultra you really should try one and if you're a trail runner and, and i would say this because I talk to people who say, oh, I only run trails, or I, I only run on pavement. I don't do, or I only run, you know, 100 milers. I wouldn't do any of those. I couldn't do that 24-hour thing, or I can't do 48 or whatever. Uh, my 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 take on it is it's all good that it's a blast to run trails, and it's a blast to run trails that are easy trails because you can run a little faster and you don't have to pay so, so much attention. It's a blast to run really technical trails where it's really gnarly and you have to really watch yourself because you can fall at any minute. It's a blast to run on pavement. It's a blast to run loop races. It's a blast to run point-to-point races. It's a blast to run across the state. It's a blast to do it all. I mean, you know, my attitude is run them all. Try everything.
0: (laughs) Amen. That's a, that's a, a good one, and I feel the same way. You know, I I have a lots of people that I talk to, or they just say I'm just trails that. You know, I find something uh, enticing about all of. Them. You know, I still like to do a, a road marathon.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I've run across the state of Florida twice, and I've done it the easy way because I've gone east to west, the north and south is a little bit more problematic. I have a route mapped out from Pensacola to Key West. It's like 900 miles. and I figured at 30 miles a day, it would take me 30 days to get it done. And I just don't have 30 days right now in my life to be able to commit to it. But it's on my bucket list. Um, but, you know, that's, that kind of stuff is fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ever since, since I've kind of discovered uh... – This FKT world, I've been kind of got in my mind. what can I do? I don't know that I could ever get an FKT, but what could I do? That's not a race; that's just a personal challenge like that. Like you, exactly, exactly. So yeah, that's that's
2: super. And I can and I can tell you this. Here's the other piece of advice that I would offer to people, and my advice is: don't ever be afraid to sign up for whatever you want. Because I talk to a lot of people that say, "Oh man, I like fall state. I'd never sign up for that. It's way too far." Screw that! Sign up for the race. I mean, if, if the, the people that say to me, I have people every once in a while who brag, "I've never done after race," and I just look at them and I think that's because you aren't taking big enough bites out of life, man. <laughs> you gotta gra- you gotta grab hold of it, and you gotta you gotta step up and you gotta try the big thing, the really unknown, the thing that scares you. The thing that's way outside of your comfort zone or way off your radar, you sign up for that thing and try it. You'd be amazed at how fun it could be, even if you don't finish it. I've I've DNFed Ball State twice, so that's on my bucket list to finish as well. But I, and I got to tell you that when you're on your own out on a road and you're 310 miles away from your car, <laughs> and you're it's only you and your feet can get you there. You know, I, I remember standing at the edge of a town saying, should I leave this town and go, and because the next town is another 10 or 12 miles down the road, or should I stop here and get something? What if I get there and everything's closed or I can't, you know, I, I, it takes me too long to get there? I mean, those are, when you do that kind of stuff, you're living life. I mean, being feral on the road is, is when, when you've done something like that and then you have a problem that crops up at work, the work problem just doesn't seem to be so daunting anymore because you think to yourself, at least I'm not out on the road trying to live off of, you know, the money I have in my pocket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Amen. It definitely or, might. Or, happen. or, 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 or if, you know, hell, I finished a hundred mile or I can certainly knock this problem out of work. This, this isn't as bad as running a hundred miles.
0: <laughs> right. Amen. This little new computer system is nothing compared to running all night in the woods. Exactly.
2: That's exactly right. And, uh, and and that's exactly and, and you know I people say to me oh man it really, I really I'm freaked out at night in the woods I am too sometimes I got to tell you but yeah. I still am going to sign up and do it because sometimes those. being freaked out isn't a bad thing
0: right it's so exhilarating yeah, I, mean, I to walk mean, through your
2: feet. It, it is and and we live in a we live a life that is incredibly safe and secure the chances of me dying while on a, a run or a race are incredibly small. So the fears that I have are really unf Hello. Yep. Did I lose you? We for just for a few seconds. Like, okay. You yeah, well I'm I'm you starting to head to so so the fears that I have are are unfounded and ungrounded because the chance of me dying on a race or getting seriously hurt are really not I mean they're they're infinitesimal. I take more of a risk driving in my van on I twenty four than I do <laughs> running a, any kind of race.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a good way to wrap it up. I know you got to get. Started. Well, Marty,
2: it's been it's been it's been a pleasure chatting.
0: Me too, man. I love the stories. I could talk hours and hours and listen to these stories. Oh,
2: dude, dude, I, I have days and days worth of stories. People love to run with me because you know we do a long run, and they have to say two things. They have to say "uh huh" and "really." <laughs> uh huh, really? Uh huh, yeah. really? And then, and all I gonna have to do is lay back and let me, you know, blah 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 blah.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Well, that sounds good.
2: Well, man. Marty, it was a lot. It was it was it was a lot of fun, man. Here it was.
0: I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. At, uh Stinger, absolutely, I'll be there. Okay, buddy, we will drive safe and be there. Say, say Thanks, hi, to Marty. everybody say hi to everybody at uh,
2: backyard. I, I will. And I, and. And, and, and I'll, I'll try and buttonhole Laz and see if he'd do a podcast with or an okay. interview.
0: That'll be awesome. Okay. All right, buddy.
2: You take Thanks, it? man. Talk to you later.
0: Okay. Don't you just love that guy? Mike Milton is an awesome storyteller and an even nicer guy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm preparing to head down to Florida this weekend to volunteer at Don Lisenby's Jack's Trail Race. It's a 50K, 24K, and a 12K. I'll be volunteering at one of the aid stations, doing some parking, and cheering for lots of my friends running the race. I'm already about halfway through with episode 16, which is going to be a recap of the Blue Ridge Ultra that I volunteered at a couple of weeks ago. These are some awesome people with some great interviews, and I think you're going to like it. So check it out when it comes out one day next week. I want to sincerely thank you for running your miles with Marty today. I know there's a lot of choices out there, and it means a lot to me that you chose to run or ride with me. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, give us a review. Hit that subscribe button and spread the word, just like that running community love. We're on social media at Podcast, and you can email us at mileswithmartypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Squirrel's Nut Butter. Spread the lube at squirrelsnutbutter.com.